0: Hello, I'm Reggie Yates and welcome to The Road Less Travelled, an original podcast series created by Bellstaff.
1: My mum always picks up on the fact that I always say the word cliché, like I don't want to be a cliché, mm. whether it's like in my relationship or in my life or she's like why are you so afraid of like, of that, like why do you always say that word? And I think I just have this like deep set thing of like not wanting to be like, just I don't know, like mediocre. Imagine being Cut. To- oh, you're all right, like you're... you're- like, you're alright at acting.
0: In this new series of podcasts, I talk to successful people about risk-taking, confounding expectations and the choices they've made that have led them to the place they are now. Today, my guest is Emma Mackey, who is Maeve in Netflix's Sex Education, was the breakout star of that huge hit series, which is no mean feat when you're in one of the best and most successful shows around and appearing alongside Gillian Anderson. All right, I've got to ask, Emma, uh, we are talking roads less travelled. Um, I'm intrigued to know whether you are a uh, one of the safe types or whether you like to be a little bit risky. What would you describe yourself as being? What sort of lane do you fit into?
1: I think I'm in the middle. I think I'm, I'm a bit more risky nowadays. Okay. But I still think about, th- I don't just act on impulse necessarily. Like I go with my gut and everything and, and I'm happy to take risks, yeah. but I'll still Care.
0: <laughs> All right, well, I'm gonna fire loads of questions at you at the beginning just to sort of get more of a measure of you because fine. We're I feel like I'm of,
1: doing a personality test. I know,
0: well, no, you are. It's actually the psychopath test. Is so it? You've okay, been fine. Oh, God.
1: oh dear. <laughs> no, we're sort of
0: locked in a um, what is a really cool looking room, but it's yeah. flipping hot.
1: It's quite warm. It's,
0: it's very, we're both very wearing warm.
1: Fashion black.
0: Yeah, we're wearing fashion so, black. Um,
1: yeah,
0: it's nice. <laughs> we're wearing fashion bell stuff black. Um, but I kind of want to up the intensity a bit and just sort of fire and <laughs> things at you so I can get to know a bit more about you before okay. we really get into your journey a little bit more. It's <clears throat> the
1: nitty gritty.
0: Okay, so uh, what side of London do you claim?
1: What side of London do I claim? Yes.
0: This is important uh, for any real Londoner. This is a very important question because we're in King's Cross. Yeah, it doesn't get more London than this. I know. So what side of London would you call home? South. <clears throat> okay.
1: I So when I first moved to London I was like... Tufnel Park, Archway, Kentish Town, Way. North North. For the first, but all my my kind of chosen family and friends live south, so it just makes so much sense for me to be south.
0: Was you, like me, called a traitor when you made the jump across the water? No,
1: no one's called me a traitor, but anyone from the north, from the north, (laughs) (laughs) from North London asks me where I'm from, and I'm south, they're like, ugh... I'm like, really, this, is it really a thing? I mean, this is it thing? still a thing? It
0: really genuinely is a thing. So I was also, born I'm not, and raised... I'm
1: not actually a Londoner, so it really doesn't apply yeah. to me. Do you know what you I mean? picked aside. This is important.
0: <laughs> I was born and raised around here in North London. Yeah. And then when I was 14, I crossed the river and moved to South East London. And it genuinely does feel different when you're there. It is,
1: it is a different thing. It's a it completely really
0: different thing. And... Um, I claim South London now, much to the annoyance and frustration of a lot of my friends and family. Absolutely. (laughs) Let's move swiftly on. uh, To you, because uh, the character that you play in uh, the show that sort of made your name as an actor Mm. is um, one of the sorts of people that I love to be around because your character knows herself Mm. and will never be changed by anyone. How would you best describe Maeve?
1: Like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I guess it's more, yeah, I think... That side of the unapologetic nature of her and her being and how she presents herself and how she is is a really attractive quality, I think, in anyone. Like like you were saying, I think having people in life who kind of are just very... I feel like she's quite observant. I feel mm. like she's quite... She doesn't have, like, a huge group of friends. She doesn't necessarily open up, which can be quite a bad thing and not mm. a healthy thing necessarily. But I see her as being quite observant and having this kind of profound intelligence and she just knows people and I think yeah. that's a really amazing quality to have yeah and to play
0: yeah so what did you think when you actually read that character for the first time
1: I was just uh just the whole script anyway was kind of mad like I'd never read in my very short time doing or like doing auditions because it was still quite all it was all very new for me um hadn't read anything like it and I just thought she was the coolest she was just the coolest she was just the coolest like yeah. she, she's she was very much a driving force in the story and mm. not just like a little satellite character and i thought that was a really just a really nice thing to yeah. see on a page what is
0: it about characters that just don't fit in that are so attractive to actors <laughs> because they are the roles that define careers a lot of the time you know those sort of those people who do their own thing and that walk their yeah. own path what is it that is so attractive for you as a performer when it comes to a character like that
1: um, I guess what it is, is just finding that sense of individuality, which we're all craving and looking for in our own lives. And I feel like if you're playing a character who's kind of on the sidelines and, and following everyone else, you don't get to delve into the character as much because you're reliant on other characters to drive your story. Do you know what I mean? So I feel like if, you're, if the character you're playing is a driving force on its own and is aside from the others and has their own problems going on it's really interesting to craft it feels like you're crafting something and bringing something to life as opposed to kind of like following a group do you know what I mean
0: no totally Uh, how much of you would you say there is in Maeve
1: I always get asked this you know and I don't know I I wouldn't be able to give you like a ratio (laughs) of how much me there is in her but I guess she's just like I'm like it's like a a version of myself Mm. like a heightened version of myself I don't know. We're very different people, but we're not like our core. Our cores are very much the same. Yeah, which is nice.
0: Uh, I remember when um, uh, the show flashed up on on my Netflix cause quite it's, literally, flashed. yeah, literally, it took over <laughs> half of the screen. It was like, watch this now! It's new. Please we made it. Watch it. Yeah, and um, I was so confused watching the first episode because it looked incredibly polished. It felt very American, mm. but everybody had British accents and it looked like you were in Wales. Yeah. So I, I couldn't quite get my head around what was going on, but I knew that I liked it. Yeah. So um, what is it that you, you guys were attempting, do you think, with the way it looks and the way it feels outside of the story and performances? Because it genuinely feels like its own thing.
1: Yeah, yeah. The aesthetic either really confuses people. <laughs> like it was, I got so many texts from my mates being like, "Love the show. Um, where is it set? And what? what like, you all have phones. Be like, you're in the '80s. What's going yeah. on? And I think the whole point of what you know, the producers and the directors wanted was to create an aesthetic that kind of appeals to lots of different generations. And I feel like it uh, has an intergenerational look and feel to it's, it, yes. which kind of just provides the perfect backdrop for all the madness that goes on in the show. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? one way
0: of referring to So,
1: yeah, I just think that nostalgic element is very appealing to people.
0: What did you watch when you were growing up?
1: Oh, I was, I was very like CBBC, loads of Blue Peter, Dick and Dom in the bungalow. Was did Blue you
0: ever play the bogeys game? Um, just, just, I, just for reference, my how, how old are you now? Huh? How old are
1: you now? So I didn't quite hear that. <laughs>
0: Where did you play the bogeys game?
1: No, I didn't actually play it. I just, I just watched other people. Whatever.
0: Know. Okay, so for those but that don't know what <laughs> bogeys is, can you explain the game and how it's played?
1: So back when none of us had phones yeah. or computers, <laughs> we had to find ways of entertaining ourselves. Right. And bogies uh, bogeys is, uh, was, a, was a, a game that Dick and Dom created. And basically the aim of the game is to just say the word bogeys. Increasingly loud,
0: yeah. So in, uh, if, if in like in it, like I specific places.
1: Loud. I mean, I was I was so appalled by it because they did it in like theaters, they did it in the cinema, they did it in libraries, and I was so shocked. I remember being genuinely shocked. I was like, they can't do that. They're gonna get arrested. <laughs> the police are gonna come for them. Yeah, great game, fantastic.
0: Where did you play it?
1: Did I tell you I didn't play it? <laughs> I just watched other people play. I don't it. believe. A little you. bit of like three seconds. Okay. I repeat, I did not play bogeys at okay. 23 years old
0: all right okay i'm gonna let you off though because um your youth uh, wasn't entirely spent here in the uk was it no uh so where did you grow
1: up i grew up in the northwest of france in a place called the loire valley very green very rural rural Uh, Kind of like, there's a lot of farming going on. There's a lot of like food, agricultural industry going on around there. So, yeah. And it was really, a really lovely place to grow up.
0: Mm, Parlez-vous français?
1: Oui, je parle français tout à fait. Je suis bilingue. Uh, So that helps. (laughs) Mm.
0: For the record, any of my friends that are listening are probably pissing their pants right now because literally that's all I know in French. (laughs) And you (laughs) replied and we moved on. And I, I, for a second, I I thought, Oh my God, I've got away with it. She thinks I could actually speak. Like, beyond that.
1: you should that. have said anything. Why no. did you say something? Well, no, no, no. I'm sort of in
0: my head, I'm going, oh my God. Oh, God. I've got away oh, with God, it. Oh, my God. So, uh, literally, outside of that, I've got uh, Nicole, Papa. That's not French, but that's. They're just
1: names. Nicole.
0: Oh, see, this, this is the generational gap thing. That's completely, that's a very. Anyone over the age of 30 Nicole. will know exactly what that is. Do you, so, hang on. Just so we know.
1: Can you, well, no, no, so, that so, means nothing I about, to you. No. Oh my God, I'm getting old. <laughs> oh. That's the
0: generational gap right there. This is the first time in my life this has happened on
1: mic. Someone get him some water, please. It was oh. a,
0: an advert for the Renault Clio.
1: Right. And there I was a father of, and daughter. It was, do you know what? Do you know when I heard about this in a pub quiz in oh. West of Ireland? Just stopped speaking about
0: it. Oh, my God. Yeah.
1: Genuinely, for the first time. Officially, that's... I'm
0: an old man. So, that's, so, I've got that. I've got Nicole Papa. Why was Papa. that
1: so popular? Is that just because? Because he was just really cool. He see. was really
0: cool and she was really beautiful. Uh-huh. So, there was one section of the audience that fancied him mm. and there was another section that fancied her right. and there were loads. It ran for years.
1: Right,
0: okay. Uh, so, anyway, Nicole Papa is the only other thing I have that's just names, so just names. but names. said with a French <laughs> inflection. <laughs> Nicole Papa. <laughs> uh, and uh, the only other thing I know is Petit Falou. That's it. Mm. Did you just nearly spit your war right? mm-hmm. Sorry about that. Uh, petit filou?
1: Petit filou. Makes your bones grow stronger.
0: See, there you go. That's your gen. That's the one. And bang, I'm, I'm crossing all crossing paths. Makes your bones path. grow stronger. There you go. Exactly. Yeah, love right, so love tell her. me more about uh, about France and the switch from there to the UK. Because you were how old when you came over?
1: I was uh, 17. 17 when I moved to Leeds.
0: Right. Fun city. Yes, fun. so fun. Mm.
1: It was so fun.
0: Was that not a massive um, culture shock for you when you made it? Yeah,
1: of course it was, mate. It was like, It was mad. It wasn't shocking per se, it was just like, it was just very unexpected. Mm. But that's what I wanted. I was so desperate to get out of the town that I grew up in and not like, no offence to, to the town I grew up in or mum and my dad, you know, <laughs> thank you, grateful for everything. But I needed to get out. I was so desperate to come to the UK and I just, I had to be there. And um, yeah, but it, it was a culture shock for sure. To go to like a big northern industrial city and just be surrounded with loads of people my age from all over the world was just, it was brilliant it was so good yeah.
0: without getting you completely disowned by your parents how does uh, a, a young woman from a, a rural farming town fit <laughs> yeah. in in Leeds
1: um good question I didn't for a while to be honest but also like bearing in mind that like a lot of people who were at Leeds were from small towns in the UK you know what I mean like it's not then they're, they're not all city um city babes so it took me a little while to find my feet but, yeah, we just have to adapt. So mm. that's, that's what we do, isn't it? As humans, we just adapt to our surroundings and our yeah. environments, so you just find ways to make it work.
0: Finding yourself has been a huge part of, of my journey. I, I don't know, it depends how you look at it. I, I'm sort of fortunate to have done it on camera mm. because I've been on screen for so many years and I've literally gone from being a child at eight years old on telly through my really? teens and my puberty. Right, right the way up till now. Oh. And um, not conforming has been something that I've... I've kind of found myself doing consistently, uh, Mm. not just because of the way I was raised and the environment that I'm from, but because it's just not in me to do what everybody Mm. else does. And in a weird way, that sort of feels like I could be talking about you in real life and also your character on the show. Mm. So um, who is it more true for? Would you say you or or Maeve?
1: What about everything you just said? I mean, both in different ways, but I like to think that I don't like to conform. Um, My mum always picks up on the fact that I always say the word cliche I'm like, I don't want to be a cliché. Mm. Whether it's, like, in my relationship or in my life or, like, relationships with people, like, whatever it is. I was like, oh, I don't want to be... I don't want... Oh, that's so cliché. She's like, why are you so afraid of, like, of that... Like, why do you always say that word? And I think I just have this, like, deep-set thing of, like, not wanting to be, like, just, I don't know, like, mediocre or, like, be just, like, the same as everyone. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Imagine being taught... Oh, you're all right. Like, you're... you're <laughs> Like you're all right at acting. You're, a you're solid average. Fi- you're a
0: solid five.
1: You're a five.
0: Yeah. To be fair, nice. five
1: is my is my favourite number. Uh, that's a side mine note. Mine too,
0: funnily enough. Is it? Yeah. Five and seven.
1: Love those two numbers. They're my Very two favourite numbers. Very good numbers. Oh my god. Strong. Solid. Okay. Anyway, so <laughs> it's
0: because we don't conform. You see.
1: Do <laughs> you See what I mean? So like
0: everyone's favourite numbers, by the way. But whatever. We'll ignore that and crack fine, on. mine, it's it's just yeah, crack on. Kind of popular.
1: Um. You don't yeah, want to be I mayonnaise. D- I just don't want to. Yeah, I just don't want to be. I just don't want to be in the middle of something. I don't. I don't want to be average at something. I want to just like.
0: Mm. Would you describe the, your character in the same way then?
1: Yeah, I think she she tries harder not to conform because she listens to punk and she has the nose ring and she has all the makeup and she has all the, the tattoos and the and everything. And I think that she has all these elements about her that that show that she doesn't conform when really we all want the same thing anyway. We all just want to be loved, we want to belong somewhere, we want to have a home, we want to be rooted. And because a lot of those things are missing from her life, yeah. she has to overcompensate in some ways and just forge her own path.
0: That's one of the beautiful things about getting that little bit older, which you've reminded me of quite a few times today.
1: <laughs> so <laughs>
0: <fun>. <laughs> Thanks for that. Um, but yeah, when you have that bit of distance from those formative moments, you realise how hard you were trying become the person that you end up becoming. Uh, And in my teens, it sort of manifested itself as cane row and a really crap moustache that everyone was saying... You probably should get rid of, <laughs> but no one actually told me to. I want to so see pictures. Of, oh, they're on the internet. They're
1: Fine, they exist. Thank God. Yeah. Thank God for the internet.
0: So I sort of would. I wouldn't go to a barber. I'd use like a Gillette razor and sort of touch it. So it was always uneven. Oh, baby. On, on yeah, on one side my That's moustache, but um, they were one of those big signifiers for me anyway that mm. I wasn't like everyone else. I'm mm. my own mm. person. I'm my own man, and this is my own wonky tash. I won't be told a thing. <laughs> yeah. I wish I knew. Yeah,
1: damn right. It's good. Was
0: there ever a, a moment in your teens or in those formative years where you were screaming to the world that you were different in the way that you've described? Maybe even just something but, as simple as the way you dress.
1: Yeah, I think I was never cool <laughs> at school. Definitely not one of the cool kids, but that's fine. Um, I just remember being like made fun of for wearing like these. Um, Zara was a big treat. I still rarely go shopping. I don't really like shopping. Mm. But like, if we went to the the nearest big city near us, we'd go to the shop and we'd go to Zara, and I'd get like a skirt or something, and I'd be so proud of it for like a week, and then I'd be like, I'd go to school and wear it, and everyone would make fun of me. I'd be like, and it was just like this patterned, like quite thick corduroy. skirt back in corduroy's back in corduroy is, is in now yeah. wasn't when <laughs> whatever I was wearing it and like loads of like big colourful flowers on it and I just remember everyone being like what are you doing mm. what but like things like that so like it's nothing it's a skirt but it affects you so much because mm. you're trying so hard to like find your group and find your your thing whatever that is and you just spend most of your time trying to fit in. So how did
0: that horrendous skirt work out for you? I
1: I literally wore it twice, and then I got so embarrassed, I just never wore it again. But now I'd probably want it back. I'd wear it now. It's
0: the way it goes. Uh, It's funny you mention embarrassment, because that's kind of where I wanted to go to next, because, Mm. uh, see, I I keep finding myself drawing comparisons, because during really important moments of my life, Mm. I was on screen, Mm. and I went through a lot of sort of formative change while on camera. So my first uh, screen kiss was when I was 14, I think. Wow. And I didn't tell my mum when the show was going out. Was that now. your first ever kiss? It or, was, or one, was of it like, one of the first. Yeah. It was one of the that's first.
1: mad. That's scary, you know. Yeah,
0: it was like a real proper kiss. And she was 17. I know. I was a toy boy. Oh, she was a harlot. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a harlot.
0: <laughs> and we, uh, we were, I was making this drama. Saffron Burroughs played my mom. It was called I Bring You Frankincense. And it was in the set, set in the 70s. So I had an afro. And wow. I was snogging this girl in an alleyway. And I was 14 years old. And it was mortifying. It was horrible. Oh. Uh, and I'll never forget, years later, I bumped into the director. And he told me, like, uh, during the edit, when we sort of pulled away from the kiss, there was a big train of spit that connected me and the girl. Can you imagine? And everyone was around the monitor, sort of looking and oh, giggling and thinking, bless them. Oh, bless them. Oh, um, but it was so mortifying for me. Before I even knew that there was the train of spit, just the thought of kissing a girl mm. on camera made me not want to tell my mum when it was going out. And I didn't. I lied and I gave her the wrong date. You, on the other hand, are in a show where there's a trillion sex scenes mm-hmm. and get into all kinds of shenanigans yeah. more often than not in the loose. Yeah. So <laughs> what do you do when your first... Major role is on a show called Sex Education, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you're doing stuff.
1: And I'm doing stuff
0: that you don't want to share with mum.
1: Yeah, it's a good way of putting it. Um, what do you do? You just—I'm not going to lie. Like the first—the first time I even read the script, I was like, I don't know if I can do this. Regardless, I never thought I was going to get the part in the first place. So I was like, I might as well just try. But reading the script, I was so taken aback by it. I was quite prudish about it all. Anyway. Um, but luckily, like, we were just really well looked after from start to finish, even before we started filming, we, we were given all of these tools by Ito O'Brien, who's the intimacy coordinator who worked on the show. And I, who's intimacy yeah, coordinator. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's a thing now, which is brilliant because actually if you think about so you think about stunts in films, yeah. Do you let actors jump off buildings? Fair enough. No. So why would you just expect people to just have sex on camera and know how to do it? it can really affect people after, like, so many actors have had problems with it, uh, like, with with sex scenes and intimate scenes because mm. it's really personal and so intimate to, like, share that side of yourself. And basically, all the tools we were given were specifically for that to prevent any sort of, like, trauma post-sex scene. We were given all these tools, like... um like physical consent we we choreographed it quite significantly and it was such
0: a different different territory now because yeah it's
1: completely because people have a new thing yeah and also you have to be people are like so scared now because Mm. all the stuff that's happened in this industry and and beyond people are just very careful and rightly so and they should be because there's no room for error now so in like having an intimacy coordinator like on a show like this that goes out to that many people Mm is so important and like quite revolutionary. So it feels really cool to be part of that. It feels like we're part of a movement. That's do you know rare. what I mean? Got,
0: I didn't even consider um, mm. how what's happened in film and TV would change the way that yeah. a scene like that, or scenes like that, would mm. actually be made and put yeah. together. Makes complete sense yeah. when you actually think we're about still,
1: it. Still, uh, we're still in the early stages of that happening. And, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because so, it is scary for yeah. anyone.
0: I'm really interested in the moment where you regressed when you watched the show with your
1: mum. So I didn't watch the show with you with didn't. no God no, God no, but she's she's watched it a couple of times now. So her so my mum's best friend flew over from Birmingham to my family house in France and and came over literally for the weekend to watch it with my mum. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was the cutest thing in the world.
0: And what was her feedback?
1: I think that you have like the first you just have to get past it, don't you? I think you just have to get past those scenes and when you're you know. A relative. Yes. Um, I, it must be weird, of course, but they were just far more interested in the story, and they got really involved and cared more about the show's message rather yeah. than the scenes. And that's the that's the beautiful thing is like it's called sex education. It's literally about sex and sex problems, but they kind of become the backdrop. Like the sex scenes are just they just there to like pepper or like punctuate the show. Mm. And I think that's one of the the secret keys to why it's kind of worked so well. Well,
0: there's something really beautiful about making a show that has some substance to it. Mm. Uh, especially when it's going out to as many people as your show does on a platform like Netflix. Mm. I imagine that you get people uh, approach you about some of the things that you tackle on the show. Have you had anyone mm. uh, contact you maybe on social media and, you know, speak to some of the things that you've done on screen or something your characters experienced that have helped them?
1: The thing is, is I'm not very... I have kind of made a choice not to look at the message requests on Instagram. That's the only thing, that's the only um, social media I have. Yeah. But I just, I've made a conscious choice to not do that because it's not my job.
0: Yes. That's admirable though, because it's tough. Um, It is
1: tough and you want to, and like, I I would love to be able to, you know, talk to people and be one of those people that can just, you mm. know, um, offer advice and all that, but it's not my job to to do that. And I just, I had to make the choice from early just to protect myself because I was scared... Yeah, I think it just can get out of hand quite quickly. Fair
0: enough. No, that makes complete sense. Okay.
1: But but the feedback has been good. Like, I'm, but it's been in interviews mostly. People have talked about the, the you know the abortion episode and talked about the intimacy scenes and dealing with being a single, uh, parentless kid and like having having to grow up faster than mm. than most kids because they're all like these characters all sixteen seventeen you know and like Maeve literally lives in on a caravan on a caravan <laughs> uh, in a caravan on her own and has obviously had to grow up a lot faster which comes back to what we were saying earlier that's why she's kind of in her own person because she has to be
0: yeah I, I imagine a show of this scale is forcing you to confront uh, things that maybe you wouldn't have done if you weren't on a show this popular mm. uh, based on the fact that you've got <coughs> what, 168 territories watching the show? Yeah, it's mad. It's huge like, and it the numbers are insane yeah. and Netflix don't really scream about their numbers but no, they, they do, do when not. you've got a hit. <laughs> <laughs> and I've heard uh, something like 40 million being thrown around when it comes to to your show. Um, this is your first major gig. My first job. Your first job, period. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> how do you manage that when you've got that many people watching you in that many corners of the world? Because technically you could go to... I don't know, you could go to Russia mm. and they might go, Hey, sex education, That's like, This is why sexy, it's mad, sexy. like, walking
1: around London, having, like, tourists come up to me, like, from Russia or, like, Turkey or Spain, be like, we love your show, like, can we take a picture? Like, it's mad to me. That is completely mental.
0: Yeah.
1: I feel like I've got a bit more distance from it now.
0: Mm. It's um, real deep-end stuff, though, because we're talking yeah. globally and usually for people that are on a hit show, it's in one territory and then slowly but surely it seeps into different corners of the world. Mm. This is Overnight. Global. Yeah. So, well, as, as a group, because it sort of happened to all of you, mm. how has the group sort of managed this newfound fame?
1: I think quite well, all of us get on so well and look out for each other. Mm. And so that really helps to just have that, like a, a bond with all of these people, you know, the producers as well, and, and everyone involved in, in the show generally. It's just so nice to have that foundation and strong base. Mm. It keeps you grounded, and it's exciting. We're all very excited. We've all got things going on in our own professional lives and personal lives because of the show, and it like we're all so thankful for it, and it's it's a blessing, it, like it really is. I think all of that, what all those numbers you're saying, I think you just don't think about that. Do you know what I mean? Because if you start thinking about that, it's like yeah, yeah really overwhelming. So just yeah, don't think about that, and just it's a job. It's very exciting, and it's a lovely job to do, and it's really fun.
0: And it's definitely um, gone well because you get to do it again.
1: Because you get to do it again. You've got a second series yeah. coming,
0: which is good. Yeah. Uh, but I imagine, off the back of the success of the show, and you not being rubbish, uh, you've had rubbish. a few uh, sort of asks to mm. maybe do some other stuff. Yeah. Can you talk about any of that yet?
1: Yeah, I can talk about... So the film I'm doing, starting in August, is a film called Eiffel, which is a, my first French film, which I'm really excited about.
0: French-speaking? Yeah, yeah.
1: Fantastic. Um, with a lovely French actor called Romain Duris. Nicole? Nicole? Papa? Yes. Yes,
0: <laughs> yes. Sorry. I just had to get out.
1: Um so yeah, that's in fact that's the whole dialogue. So that's you'll be you'll be having a, a great time in that film. I'm gonna love it. So that's really exciting. That's like it's literally about the Eiffel Tower and the love story around the Eiffel Tower. So for someone who is only half French and who wanted to leave France <laughs> for most of her childhood, the irony is quite quite significant. But um it's gonna be. It's 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 such a joy, and I'm just like, yeah. It's just like a kind of a like a childhood dream of mine to do yeah. this kind of film, and it's just it's just mad. Like,
0: what well, my favorite for what it's worth, my favorite film. I say the most influential film for me as a writer and a director is French, uh, Le Haine.
1: Oh, really? I
0: adore that film. And I saw it when I was... It's a a classic. Right, I saw it when I was 14 and Matthew Kasovitz, wherever you are, probably not hearing this right now, (laughs) but you are a god to me. And there's something really beautiful about French cinema, uh, particularly when it's as raw and real as that is. And um, I'm really excited to see this project. It sounds fantastic. Um, Now, before I say goodbye to you, uh, I'm a music fiend. Mm -hmm. And um, music's a huge part of my life. It always has been. My father's a musician. I grew up on radio. Music is everything. Uh, So I'm fascinated to find out what it is you're listening to right now.
1: Oh, my God. Well, right now, it's Beyonce's new album. I listen to it, like, five times a day.
0: The Lion King one?
1: Yeah. No way. It is a joke. (laughs) I don't even. I literally sent Shu a voice note yesterday of me just stuttering and being like, "I don't know how to describe <laughs> Beyoncé anymore. I just right. don't understand. I just don't understand how she does it. She's just, not one of us. She, she's she not.
0: Is, she is not of this earth.
1: Not. That's literally what I said. Yeah. I, I can. I, I think she was just sent to us as like a beacon so. of
0: a reminder of how rubbish we all
1: are. And <laughs> I will never be at her level. <laughs> the thing is with that album, yeah. I mean, I know it's it was done for the Lion King, but it's like it's like a unified body of work, and it's so harmonious and yet each individual song speaks like a different energy within me and the people who listen to it
0: i could be wrong here yeah but are you a beyonce fan <laughs> no like a real beyonce fan what are you talking about? okay right okay so are you in the hive <laughs> you're in the beehive aren't you maybe, maybe yeah okay. anyway did you so... cry when you watched her documentary yeah yeah okay <laughs> yeah. okay got it
1: but yeah beyonce i'm listening to i didn't same like music i'd listen to music i've bought decks
0: nice CD like tiny, or vinyl. tiny
1: little baby Newmark okay. decks. I just want to be able to just mix music and, like, it just makes you interact with music in a different way and it kind of, like, it's just cool. I just, yeah.
0: I just just for me and my, my personal nosiness, if you could sort of yeah. pick one record that uh, isn't your favourite but reflects you in a way or maybe how you're feeling right now
1: um, or that
0: maybe tells me something about you that I wouldn't have got from this conversation.
1: So the song that I would choose is probably... Smile by Nat King Cole and the reason for that being that was a song I sang in my first ever audition ever um, that I did at uni um, for Rent the musical and I was so scared and I was like shaking and I remember that feeling of just pure like just nerves, like, and, and that warm, tingly, like adrenaline feeling, just like rushing through my body. And I'd never done an audition before. My friend Ravina literally like dragged me to the audition. Was like, "You have to go. Like, you'll regret it if you don't do it." Mm. And I got a part of the ensemble, and I was just like, "And that, and that." From then on, that was it. Like, I was like, "This is what I'm spending my life doing. There's That's nothing right. better than this." So, "Smile" by Nat King Cole was probably like it's quite formative.
0: Choice. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, we have to talk films. Okay, um, okay. is there a film that sort of sticks out in your mind as incredibly important to you as a as an actor or as a fan?
1: Again, I'm going to go back in time. The first time I felt like truly, like the character on screen was me Hmm. and was like speaking like me and had the same ideas and the same energy as me was in Before Sunrise. And Céline, played by Julie Delpy, I watched it at uni and I was 19. I was like, it's
0: me. It's me. (laughs) Everything she's
1: saying. And about relationships and love and everything. It just made sense.
0: I'd love to, 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 to find out if there was anybody who maybe has inspired you that did things differently, that has travelled a unique path and gone their own way?
1: Yeah, in that respect, I kind of draw inspiration from a lot of women in my life. My mum, <laughs> she was obsessed with French when she was growing up and she would listen to the radio like under her duvet and like learn and learn. She was obsessed with it and she moved to France young as well when she was at university, met my dad, all of this, mm. and kind of just built a life in France with my dad and and made us and like raised us and works for charities and has taught for many, many years and tutored people and visits nursing homes. And yeah, I just, her path is so interesting and just her way of, her approach to life is really lovely. And yeah, I just, she's one of my biggest inspirations. But then again, I have, you know, there are a lot like Beyonce, for example, <laughs> just to, you know, switch that up a little bit. But so Beyonce, Beyonce and, and mum.
0: That's a good two. It's good. That's a very strong two. Surely
1: I get brownie points for that. I think so.
0: I think mum will be pleased with that. Yeah, mum will be pleased. Uh, Last (laughs) one from me. Do you think that you're on the path that you will be on for the foreseeable future? Or is this a just for now? Do you think, I mean, you're not going to release an African-inspired album like Beyonce anytime soon? Or are you?
1: Well, that's where you're wrong, Reggie. (laughs) Uh, No, I wish. No, um, but no, I think that this is me for now. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be doing other stuff in a couple of years. I love this job so much, if it's even a job. I mean, it's just a dream. It's it's a joy, and I'm really thankful for everything that's happening in my life, but I'm also good at other things, and I like doing other things, and I'm really looking forward to exploring all of those things later on in life, and I just don't think, I don't think I'm going to stick to one thing.
0: And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Emma, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. Really enjoyed this.
1: It's been so fun. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to The
1: Road Less Travelled, Brought to you by Bellstar.